Let's go. Thanks, man. Guys, uh, we've been talking about uh, a people being forged at Gilgal. Uh, we started five weeks ago or six weeks ago, and the whole idea is we are approaching this theme called Authentic Sons Open Heaven. What does it take to walk the earth as an authentic son so that the heavens or the favor of God and the scepter of God that is outstretched may be uh, something that we walk under continuously? And we said that one of the stages that we have to go through is to become a people forged at Gilgal, ready at Gilgal. And we've talked about reconciliation. We've talked about different things that we have to um, work into and through our lives so that we be ready. So that just as Jesus stepped out of the Jordan as an authentic son and the heavens were torn open and the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. In the same way, us as an authentic son called Acts 29 has to step out of the Jordan so that God can say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, listen to Acts 29 because they become an oracle of God here on earth. That's the place we are heading towards. And so today... Um, I just want to say that it's, it's the privilege of every Christian to partake in God's grace. But uh, we want to pick on a, a passage today in the Old Testament where we hear God saying, listen, as priests, you can partake in my grace anytime. But if you want to be a dispenser of grace, if you want to be someone who ministers grace to others, then you have to be readied into a certain type of people. And that's what you're going to talk about today. So if you want to turn to Leviticus 21. Leviticus 21. Leviticus 21. And I think once we are done with this, we can move on from Gilgal to other things. And uh, if possible, I was telling uh, Wayne that he should put all the five CDs of the last five weeks together. Because it will form what is something that you can listen to during the rest of December so that you enter into this new season starting Jan uh, as, as a person fully formed at Gilgal, having taken the trouble to deal with what needs to be dealt with in our lives. Uh, Leviticus 21. Leviticus 21. And I'm reading from verse 17 to 23. Um, and here goes. Leviticus 21, 17 to 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, starting at verse 16, The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, For the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who, is, who has any defect may come near me. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand, or who is handicapped or dwarfed, or who has an eye effect, or who has festering or running sores, or damaged testicles. No descendant of Aaron the priest who has any defect is to come near to present the offerings made to the Lord by fire. He has a defect. He must not come near to offer the food of his God. He may eat the most holy food of his God, as well as the holy food. Yet because of his defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes him holy. Obviously, uh, these are physical defects that were used 
uh, in the Old Testament as banning the sons of Aaron from entering the sanctuary. These physical defects obviously don't transfer into the New Testament. We have to stand in the New Testament and look at the Old Testament and then interpret what the Old Testament is trying to say. So I said before, on one hand, we are... Uh, we are... Yeah, don't worry about that. So... These physical defects exclude no one today, but must be viewed from the New Testament, and it should be interpreted. So, uh, let's go through these different defects that are to uh, prevent a person from uh, being a minister or dispenser of grace. If you notice in Leviticus 21, it says, if you have these defects, you are not excluded from eating of the bread. You are not excluded from partaking in grace. But if you want to offer the bread before God, if you want to offer things before God, if you want to minister before God, if you want to be a dispenser of grace for God, then you have to be defectless, blemishless, faultless, flawless. That's why I've titled it Quality Control because uh, here is a chance for us to look at our lives and see if things need to be arranged. And I've had so much fun going over each of these and trying to make adjustments. The first one that's mentioned there, and depending on the kind of Bible you're reading, the words differ. In some Bibles they say eunuch, in other Bibles they say damaged testicles. In some Bibles they say dwarf, in other Bibles they say uh, um, uh, handicapped. In some Bibles they say eczema, in other Bibles they say scurvy, in other Bibles they say festering sores. So we'll take all those words together and see what God is trying to say. So the first one is blindness. Blindness here, uh, how do we interpret it in the New Testament? It is... Uh, it is... Uh, uh, it is a lack of vision or no vision, no vision for the purposes of God. No vision for the purposes of God. No vision or a lack of vision for the purposes of God. A lack of vision for the purposes of God. And I so strongly encourage you to go home and check if this is true of me, true of you. Uh, do, do I have uh, an idea of the vision or the purpose of God for me in general for life or specifically for life or specifically for the year ahead or specifically for today? Do I have a vision of the purpose of God for me? And if I don't, why don't I? And if I don't, is it important that I have one? Why is it that I don't have one? So, that's something we, I mean, I, I'd so strongly encourage you to look at each one of them. Because Proverbs 29 verse 18 says that my people perish for the lack of vision. In other, another place it says, because my people don't have vision, they have cast off their restraint. Which is to say that now that I am purposeless, I can go any which way because purposelessness allows me to be blown like the wind any which way I want. But once there's a vision, once there's a, uh, once you understand uh, the purpose of your life, understand the purpose your family has here on earth. I mean, uh, you know, you know, families of destiny. You know that Marcus Ryan and Lorian. I called you Rosalind once. Marcus Ryan and Lorian have a destiny as a family. That this family is meant to leave a legacy here on earth. That Elmer Ann and their children. And grandchildren have a destiny appointed to them here on earth. God always operated in clans, tribes, families. What is it? 
What is your purpose? Uh, uh, let me assure you that when a people continue for a period of time without vision or purpose, they cast off restraint. It becomes, what's the point? I can be anything I want to be because what's the point? I'm going to heaven. My ticket is secure. So be what you want to be. That's what happens. So check on that. And the, uh, so, so what would be, I mean, um, uh, one of the things I have often done and I've told you about this is whenever I feel even a little purposeless in terms of uh, what the next step is, where is Acts 29 going, where is Jacob going, uh, where is life supposed to go next year or tomorrow, I always go back and listen to what has been spoken over me. And our tendency is to think, but I've heard that three times. What can be new? I cannot tell you how much there is in what has been spoken over you by different people. Each time I listen to it, each time I read it, it's like digging out new treasure. Because this, if, if prophecy is genuine and is unadulterated, it is the counsel of God. And there is no fathoming the counsel of God. So if you think you've reached the end of it, you're wrong. Be proactive about this. I, I cannot emphasize it enough. So what I do is I'll go and listen. I'll listen to it again and again and again. This morning I was listening to what Eddie said. Um, I was listening to it and I found something in it that I hadn't seen before. I found something in it that I should have heard before I went to Indonesia. Thank God it came to pass, but he had said something about Indonesia that I'm finding two months after I've come from Indonesia. Sometimes it's the grace of God. <laughs> so um, do that. And the other thing we need to understand uh, is that, um, guys, how do you know if you have vision? Um, I would say one of the litmus tests is communicate it. Let me hear you communicate the purpose you have here on earth. If I were to ask you right now, okay, you say you have vision, you have purpose, communicate it. And if you can communicate it with clarity, I would then say, yes, you do have a grasp of it. But if you cannot communicate it with clarity, if it is generic, if it is, uh, yeah, um, God loves me and I'm his son, that's, no, that's absolutely true. Okay, I'm not saying no to that at all. But if, if it is in that area, then I'd say something uh, needs to be studied even more. I mean, if I were to go up to Ryan and ask him, so what are you going to do after grade 10? If he says, oh, I'm going to study more, something is wrong. But guess what? If I ask him now, he's going to tell me what he's going to major in. Because he already knows. There is a clarity there. And if you read Habakkuk chapter 2, you'll see that uh, there's a, I mean, for every, um, for every handicap here, we will have a solution. So the solution then for a lack of purpose is one obviously to find it out because I really think that there is nobody in this house who does not already have some kind of an inkling as to where you're heading. If you've been in this house for more than six months, you have an idea of where you're going because God has touched your life prophetically. That's the nature of this house. So, if you go to Habakkuk 2, it's one of those books that plays hide and seek Habakkuk 2 after Nahum which doesn't help at all and before Zephaniah Habakkuk 2 verses 1 and 2 you'll see there that uh, it says there I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts I will look to see what he will say to me 
and what answer I am to give to this his complaint. Then the Lord replied. First, what does he say? What's the first word? Write down the revelation. So first thing you do if you want to crystallize or um, filter your vision so you understand it, first one you do is write. What's the next one? He says, write down your uh, the revelation and make it what? Plain. Write it with clarity. There should be a clarity to it. And then he goes on to say, write it, make it plain, so that um, uh, at the appointed time, uh, a herald may run with it, for the revelation waits an appointed time, it will speak in the end. So guys, first you see it, so obviously purpose has to be seen, and like I said, in this house, you have begun to see what it is for you. Because this, uh, really the destiny of this house is your destiny too, besides what God speaks to you individually. So you see it, you write it, there's clarity, and then the herald cannot see it unless you communicate it. And once you communicate it, it's taken, and then you act on it or initiate action on it. This is how uh, vision is actually developed or um, crystallized or filtered so that it becomes something tangible. You see it or you hear it, you write it. I, uh, I cannot tell you how important writing it down is. You write it. After you write it, you go over it and you begin to see clarity in it. After clarity in it, now you have sufficient clarity in your spirit and in your mind to be able to communicate it. And once you've been communicated, now you're in a position where you begin, can begin to act on it. This is how blindness, in terms of a lack of vision for the purpose of God, can be destroyed. Any questions? Uh, time plays uh, in terms of once you begin to initiate action, then time has to unfold it because you can't push it, you can't hurry it, but you've initiated the action. Now God has, now God begins to cooperate because God does say, James, war with the prophetic word. Take it and war with it. Begin with it. I'll bring it to pass, but begin with it. If you do not initiate it, if you do not act on it, then <laughs> Isaiah 7 applies where because you did not believe, it was not established. There's that too. A prophetic word does not come to pass because it was not believed in, therefore it shall not be established. You know why I said my guitaring will improve? Because many years ago a prophet came and said that I would um, be um, a, a very good instrumentalist. And I found that so not up my alley, because I was a worship leader, not a guitarist, that I decided that I was going to put it on my prophetic shelf and not use it. And I have used it as an example many times to say, some people prophesy things that are not true. And uh, I was talking to someone about how we need to take things that have been spoken and have to begin to apply it. And I felt the Lord saying, but you have things in your life that you haven't applied yet. And I had to go and examine it, and this was one of them. So I remember walking in front of the Lord after I spoke to this person. And I was saying to the Lord, you know, Father, there was no reason to suspect what the guy said. It's just because it was not something I'm interested in or has been something that I'm fond of. And so today I undo what I've said, and I 
want to become this uh, aspect that you wanted to bring into my life and so i would i'm not surprised if uh, i'm not surprised when my guitaring will begin to um improve and uh, um you guys will say wow jacob your singing needs improvement now and stuff like that so moving on that's how it works so time works that way it happens when i agree if i do not believe i will not be established that's what isaiah 7 says i think it's isaiah 7 uh, I, i i don't remember it. it i think it's in isaiah 7 yeah um let's go on to lameness then lameness is uh, this is so sad guys what happens <laughs> lameness lameness is when uh, those who lameness happens to those who can see what god is saying but don't have the ability to walk in it but don't have the ability to walk in it can uh, lameness lameness is when uh, it's it's a people or an individual who is aware of and he can see he can see a n he can see what god is saying he can see it but he does not know or she does not know Uh, or does not have the ability to walk in it it's i mean one of the classic examples is the man at the beautiful gate in acts chapter 3 in acts chapter 3 verse 2 it says there was a man who was lame from his mother's womb who was brought to the gate what was the name of the gate the beautiful gate at the temple and he was left at the beautiful gate and he would there be there always at the right time when the temple worship would start he would be there he could probably hear the worship he knew what was happening inside but he could not enter into it it's someone who knows what is required but does not know how to step into it some of us here know what is required of us we know we already know but we have no idea how the heck do i move from knowing to stepping into it Mephi Boshet was like that. Mephi Boshet was Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son. David's friend Jonathan, his son. Mephi Boshet was meant to be king. But when he hears that David has defeated his dad, his granddad, he his nurse picks him up and starts running. The boy drops out of her arm, falls on the ground and he becomes lame. And so here is a king who is now lame, does not attain the throne till David calls him into the palace and he had everything that was required to be a king but he ran and he could not even run at that because he was lame so what's the solution uh another way of looking at it to pick on a word that ann had used guys these are people who get touched at every meeting they go for different meetings all over the place they get touched at all the meetings but they don't know how to launch into orbit it's the launching is missing uh, how was the meeting oh uh, brother i was deeply touched uh, what's going to happen out of it nothing uh, why because i have to go for another meeting to get deeply touched again because uh, <laughs> i'm <are> laughing <laughs> there's a place where after being touched you have to be launched and i'd suggest to you that um 
the solution, uh, what people normally resort to in terms of solutions is uh, they resort to methods, they resort to church growth, they resort to formulas, they resort to fire conferences, they resort to getting resources and somehow trying to activate what's in them. But I'd like to tell you that it is impossible to move from lameness unless you are somehow charged by the apostolic and the prophetic guys. Here was this lame man sitting at the beautiful gate. And what does he ask for? He asks for some arms. And who comes along? Peter and John. And what do they say to him? They say, look at us. There, there, there needs to be a penetration of that which is prophetic and apostolic to begin to push you into orbit, guys. You've seen that activated in lives here through um, uh, um, Eddie, through different people who've come here, through, my, through me um, laying hands on people. You've seen it activated. You've seen what Eddie has done in my life where there's a sudden launching. The, it needs an apostolic and prophetic knife edge to cut, cleave open and say, look at me. And then silver and gold I have none. But what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And suddenly your lameness is gone. So, may I tell you, you can sit at Acts 29 and miss out on it. Because you have chosen not to understand the apostolic and the prophetic. Guys, there's nothing anybody can do about it. There are people in Eddie's church, in Eddie's friends' churches, who have sat there for years and years and years and have not been affected by it. Why? Because they like what they like and are selective in their hearing and the rest of it is does not apply to me because that is not my thing. I beg of you, we give the whole counsel of God, take it all. Guys, these messages may be a little uh, nasty in terms of how it's being presented, but we are at Gilgal. Circumcision was not a walk in the park. It is painful. Questions, comments, disagreements. Not physical, spiritual lameness, yeah. I think it's impossible to move from lameness to a place where you can get launched into who you know what God is asking you to be. It's impossible to be launched into it unless you uh, unless you say, okay, uh, I, uh, guys, if, uh, but yeah, position yourself to receive. Guys, if you have missed out on understanding what the apostolic is, uh, I, I might use this word again and again. I beg of you, ask Wayne for the CDs and grasp and understanding because otherwise you are losing out. I don't care how friendly you are with each other or with me. It won't benefit you unless the truth is taught. Friendship does not set you free. <laughs> the knowledge of the truth does. Go ahead, Valentina. Uh, at the appointed time, which will happen? Yes, in Habakkuk, which we dealt with in terms of blindness. I'm talking about lameness where people have seen under, seen it, but they do not know how to take what they've seen and launch. 
Because prophetic words can be received by many. Israel received tons of prophetic words. But it didn't do them any good. So that's the problem. Exactly. The apostolic and the prophetic have the ability to remove lameness and launch you into that which God is already showing you. It's like it's like being impotent. I know I know what it takes, but I don't know how to do it. Absolutely. That's when we come to dwarfs, we'll talk about that. Dwarfs are people who have aged without growing. Dwarfs are people who have aged without growing in the spirit realm. There, there is a point where the analogy of the lame, when you use it in the spiritual, has to be disconnected from actual physical lameness. Where uh, here is a lame person who now has the, uh, when it comes to spiritual uh, understanding of things, I have to open up my spirit to receive from the apostolic and the prophetic. Okay, I'll give you an example. Um, I could have I could have gone for a many apostolic summits and conferences all over the world, listened to Eddie and all his friends, and have come back without any change. I listened to it. I'd have tons of notes. I'd probably preach a sermon, but I'd never live it. Why? Because I did not open up my spirit to receive it. I did not want anything to do with it. I've gone to places and sat with elders in churches and taught them how to do things and they have said no the church won't collapse they'll still do wonderful things people will still get saved some will get healed but they will never enter into the orbit that was meant for them instead of going to Mars they'll keep going around the moon are you still in space? yes but you were supposed to hit the red planet not the little white piece of cheese in the sky There you go. We got orbits, man, that we have to enter into. Valent- uh, I asked Valentin already. Yeah. Uh, guys, it's the apostolic and the prophetic that has the ability to penetrate. Uh, I've always shown you that picture of the spear with. Uh, this is the shaft, but a shaft without a spear has no penetration. A spear without the shaft has no direction. Goes together. Yeah. If this is the apostolic and the prophetic, this is the um, evangelistic, the uh, teaching and the pastoring. It has to go hand in hand. And who does all this? The saints are involved in this. These are not some kind of aliens that fell out of the sky. These are normal people. These are you and me. And so then it applies that a whole lot of people can see the prophetic. And this is sometimes what happens to the charismatic and the Pentecostal where they they operate in the prophetic but are never able to launch fully into orbit just because there is no, there is nothing to, that input is missing. Because there is a resistance or a lack of acknowledgement of the apostolic and the prophetic.
And if you want to know what it is, as I use the words apostolic and prophetic, if you do not know it, let me very gently say to you, it is not because it hasn't been spoken of or taught. It is because you have forgotten or chosen not to listen. I'm going to be very, very plain and gentle today. And if you have listened and you do not remember, then go back and revisit it. Because we are ending Gilgal today. We are moving on to other things. <laughs> I pray God that we examine this. I'm always surprised at how much you remember. Because when I ask questions, there's this expectation in my mind that, oh, you won't know the definition because it was so long ago. And then when you come up with it, I'm always surprised. But if you do, don't remember all the nitty-gritties, just go re-examine it. I, I, I have to do that, guys. <laughs> yeah. Deformed and marred faces. The third one is deformed and marred faces. In the King James, it says people with flat noses. So, yeah, people with flat noses or deformed or marred faces. Guys, a, a deformed or marred face um, uh, is someone... I mean, I, I'm drawing this interpretation from James chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, where um, the Bible says that, uh, do not be like a man who goes and looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. Instead, be like the man who looks into the mirror of the perfect law of liberty and sees who he really is. So, a deformed or a marred face is someone, is one who has no idea of who they are and what they look like because they have stopped catching glimpses of themselves in the word of God instead they see themselves through the looking glass of someone else's eyes or their own eyes one who has no idea one who has no idea of who they are and what they look like because they've stopped catching glimpses of themselves in the word of God Eddie talked about this And so, where do they get their information about themselves? They get it through the eyes of somebody else, or they get it through their own eyes, and we have a tendency to beat ourselves up, or to see ourselves less than who we are. Therefore, what we see are marred and deformed faces. Instead, go back to what this says about you. Someone pointed out an area of pride in my life a few days ago. I, I acknowledged that there was pride and I talked to God about it. And after that, I went quickly to this because I wanted to see my real self. 
I started looking for scriptures on humility. I started looking for the humble life of Christ. I started looking for the life of another that I have in me that I can live by. So that I could return not to, I have to lose my pride, I have to lose my pride. No, so that I could return to walking in the life of another which is humble. But I had to go to this. I found about six or seven different places and I spent about 20-25 minutes reading through them because I have to have an idea of myself through because this is life. This goes into me. It makes sense. Your platitudes help but they never go into my spirit unless they come from God. important otherwise you see a deformed face guys you see marred faces I, I thought I wrote better than I wrote last week one who has one who has no idea of who they are and what they look uh, look like because they have stopped catching glimpses of themselves in the word of God instead they see themselves through the looking glass of someone else's eyes. Which then brings another important point up. Um, we have to make sure that we don't, uh, when we uh, talk to others about themselves, that we try not to look at them through our own eyes. Because otherwise we will hoist on them a marred, deformed face that they begin to live with for the rest of their lives. Which is why suddenly in the middle of the worship, that Amy Grant song came back. Do you have your father's eyes? People who live under dominion or under control end up having a mask put on their face that is marred and deformed because it has been, once you keep hearing it for a while, no, it becomes your mask, guys. So I have to be careful of how I speak to somebody about themselves. I have to keep going back to this. And, and, and I have to do it um, because, tr trust me guys, there are times when people say things about me, as wonderful a guy as I am, they still say things about me that are sometimes not so wonderful. And sometimes they are true and sometimes they are not. I cannot give it time, guys. I find that the way the mind works, if there is a gap between what I hear uh, and the time that I take action, I begin to have a mindset that begins to take bits and forms its own little puzzle that is grotesque. Because now a person has said, you are this. And then I remember another person who said something like that. And that piece comes. And all the pieces that have uh, this evil affinity for each other from all the parts of my mind that have gone over the last 20 years come and say, aha, so they must all be right. And now there's a grotesque little mask that's created inside my mind that I begin to wear. So there has to be very little gap between hearing something and uh, seeing myself in the mirror of God. This does not mean that every time someone says something it is negative. Because there are times when people have said something and it's true. But after I realize it's true, I still have to go back to the word to see who Christ is. Because I have to live the life of another. I cannot become it by my own strength, guys. You've got to go back to this. So when uh, pride was pointed out and it was genuine 
I had to go back and see the life of another who is humble. And then come to the realization that it is he who lives within. Now that I have told the Lord that, yeah, you were right in pointing it out, I can let that live out. It's a different way of dealing with it, guys. Keep the gap between what you hear and what you do in terms of looking in the mirror very short. The shorter it is, the better it is for you. Yeah. So go to the word. I mean, (laughs) when there's ugliness in your life, when there's confusion, when there's failure, when there's past, when there's fears, when there's accusations, go to the word and close the gap between when it happens and when you have to deal with it. Become what you are, like we said last week. Become what you are. The next deformity or handicap was, uh, uh, some Bibles say, a limb too long, meaning uh, either it was a few extra fingers and toes or it was one foot was longer than the other or one hand was longer than the other. That was another deformity that forbade people from entering into God's presence. That's the fourth deformity, limbs too long. And what happens if one leg is shorter and one leg is longer? There's an imbalance, guys. Or even if you're doing push-ups, there'll be an imbalance. I mean, not that I would use my hands ever for things like push-ups. But the point is that there's an imbalance. And uh, um, uh, imbalance or additions that become useless baggage, slowing spiritual progress. I mean, if you have six or seven toes, um, it slows your walk, man. Plus, you've got to get One shoe that looks really funny. So the point is, it becomes a useless appendage or excess baggage that now slows your spiritual progress. Or if one limb is shorter than the other, one limb is longer, now you're an imbalance in your gait and it slows your spiritual progress. So um, um, how how does it translate into the spiritual? Guys, make sure that um, you always embrace And that Acts 29 always embraces the whole gospel, as in Acts 20, verse 27. May we never specialize in the apostolic or the demonic or in healing or in church planting. No, 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 no. How we do this is we got to enter and exit seasons of God with God. When God takes us through a season of healing, enter into it, but please exit as soon as he exits. When God takes you through the season of the apostolic, enter into it. But exit as soon as he exits. When he takes you through Gilgal as he's taking us right now, enter. But exit as soon as he exits. Don't spend a moment more in Gilgal. If it takes three days to heal a circumcision wound, wound, get over it after three days. Don't sit there saying, oh, need another week for this wound to heal. No. Done. Because God's glory is, there's no end to it. But on one hand, I have to behold His glory. On the other hand, I have to see, what does He want me to be? What does He want to be to me right now in His glory? Does He want to be Lord Sabaoth? Does He want to be Jehovah Jireh? Does He want to be Jehovah Rapha? Because you can't take one aspect and say, this is what we will be. Guys, in the Bible, there were gifts. In the Bible, there were services, meaning apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, But the Bible rarely says, and so they said, come forth, for thy ministry is casting out demons. There's no mention as such of... Yeah. I mean, today we see a ministry of this, a ministry of that. 
That's not the way it should be. I pray God that one of my dreams for us as a church, and I was talking to the Lord this morning about this, that Acts 29 sends out teams. Teams. So that a team is whole. There'll be people in the team that have the ability to teach. There'll be those with the gift of healing. There'll be those with the gift of miracles. And they go as a team. And when they go as a team and stand, you'll see the whole counsel of God being modeled and worked out. Yeah. That's the way it should be, guys. That's the way it should be. That'll be so crazy, man. There'll never be one limb that is too long. It'll be a whole. That is why I so encourage you, come and stand here if you have things to share. He's writing a rap song. I encourage him in it. There's nothing rap about me. But I encourage him in it. Because you should listen to the lyrics. Just remember that, guys. I mean, we've become too specialized. We should become a people. I, I have not, I'm not saying ministry should not exist. I believe ministry should exist, but... Um, uh, the whole counsel of God is better. Sometimes the Lord says, okay guys, I want you to concentrate on healing. Then do that. But please remember, when ministries begin to concentrate on healing, what when 10 years down the road, God says, move to something else, but now you've established yourself as a healing ministry. It's very hard now to hear God say, move in another direction. Fractured foot. Hey, that thing stopped or is it working? Okay, I'll try to finish in about 25 minutes, guys. If not, we'll have to continue next time. Fractured foot. Fractured foot. Guys, fractured foot is different from lameness. Fractured foot is a breaking away of the foot, uh, resulting in an inability to keep pace with others. So it's not lameness. It's not something that a person was born in. It was not a congenital condition. It was something that happened in the process. A person was born fine, and then he breaks his foot. It's a breaking away of the foot, and that this allows you to continue to keep in pace with others. And I suggest to you that again, this can be absolutely prevalent, prevalent in Acts 29, where the breaking of a limb. If you go to Proverbs 25:19, it says, "Unfaithfulness is like a broken foot. Unfaithfulness or a lack of um, faithfulness or a degree of steadfastness." It's like a broken foot, it says in Proverbs 25, verse 19. And it is possible to uh, be in a house and yet operate in isolation. And it's very disabling, spiritually very disabling. Yeah. Uh, a fractured foot is when a foot breaks away. It breaks away. And I would suggest to you that the spiritual interpretation of this breaking away of the foot is how you can be part of the body and yet you can be broken away. You can be part of a body and yet be separate. You can disconnect from the ankle onwards. So you're still part of the body. There was nothing wrong with you to begin with. It is something that can be restored. It's broken away. So now you have a foot that is part of the body and yet is not connected to the body. It's, it's when people begin to be part of something and yet are isolated. 
Yeah, not wanting to be part of it. Uh, let's assume I was part of this body. I come for these meetings, I listen to it, listen to the messages, pick up the CD and I disappear. I've got nothing to do with you. I've got nothing to do with anyone here. I come to receive. I may make offerings, but I do not want to connect one-on-one. Connect for partnership, fellowship, um, body ministry, friendship, opening my life to you, you opening your life to me, becoming transparent, becoming part of each other. I love this verse in Romans 12. It says, you are corporately, corporately together one body, but you are individual members to each other, of one another, of one another. Can you imagine that? You are together, one, you are members of one body and members of each other individually. Such a strange verse. Members of each other individually. This is one family, but they are members of each other individually. And yet when you look at them from outside, you call them the decruises, one family. But each of them is an individual and yet is an individual one to another. So when a person chooses to break away, and this is why in Deuteronomy 25, we've talked about this. What happens to the man who does not build up his brother's house? He, his wife, his uh, brother's wife comes and spits on him and then he has to put his head on his uh, head and shoe on his head and walk. And he walks with the same gait as that of a man with a broken foot. There's a limp. You cannot live together alone. Like the Trinity. God is relational even in the Godhead. Guys, look around you right now. Look, I mean, actually look, okay? Look at the people around you right now. And I asked myself this question this morning. How many here do you know superficially? It's a very genuine question. As you look around at different people here, how many of them do you know superficially? Meaning, there has been no cultivation of real depth in relationship. Here's another question. How many, about how many of these people sitting here do you have preconceived notions about? How many here do you have preconceived notion about? When you look at them, you'd say, ah, I know her, she is like this, or I know him, he's like this. How many do you have preconceived notions about? No, no, no. <laughs> but, but, but it's surprising. Uh, uh, one of the things I have to continuously work on at Acts 29 is not to have preconceived notions about you. I was talking to James about that some days ago. Ah, beautiful words. Second Corinthians 5. Henceforth I shall know no man after the flesh. Because every man is a new creation. I shall know them after the five somewhere. I shall know them after the spirit. Just as I know Christ now. Not after the flesh. Go ahead. I have learned that every time I've had preconceived ideas about someone, I have been wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, Matt, I have no preconceived notions about you. I just so like you and appreciate you. Fractured hand. 
fractured hand. Uh, the hand is always a symbol of strength. The hand is always a symbol of strength. Panjalarega? Panjalarega means do you want to arm wrestle? So uh, that's Greek for arm wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, the hand is always uh, a symbol of strength. Diana, you may enter. <laughs> The hand is always a symbol of strength. So in a broken ha- st- hand is strength broken. But in what areas in regard to uh, a spiritual house? It's with my hands that I bless. It's with my hands that I minister. The Bible talks about the laying on of hands. The Bible talks about blessing with your hands. The Bible talks about giving with your hands. The Bible talks about in Galatians 2.9, stretching out the hand of... You can shake it at some point. <laughs> stretching out your hand in fellowship in Galatians 2.9 and so again the broken hand goes with the broken foot because a broken hand is a lack of strength in serving and in serving it includes ministering, it includes giving it includes fellowship so if I were to gently ask is your hand fractured and you ask me that and I say no then your next question should be, so how is your giving, Jacob? How is your ministering? How is your serving? How is your reaching out in fellowship? And if your answer is great, then praise God, your hand is doing well. If the answer is, eh, it means you have a hairline fracture. And if the answer is no, then the hand is broken and needs to be fixed. The beautiful thing about broken hand and broken feet is they can both be I asked uh, Heidi yesterday to give me an idea of the months that I did not uh, the, the three or four months last year where my giving to the church was low compared to what I normally give I wanted to ask her that and she's going to give it to me I have different reasons for it but one of the reasons is in 2010 I don't want to be the giver I was in 2009 I want to be a better giver in 2010 guys It has nothing to do with whether my income increases or not. It has everything to do with giving. Because I'm not the best giver I know. So, maybe increase in this. Solution, step up, upgrade. (laughs) Upgrade in these areas. I mean, uh, have the guts to come and say, let's... uh, Minister, let's do this. One of the things that really blessed my heart uh, on Leah's dedication was when uh, Matt came up and he was kind of hobbling because uh, his leg was hurting. And he said, Jacob, uh, my leg's been hurting. Do not know why. Why? So um, just thought I'd let you know. And I said, yeah, Matt, I'll remember to pray. And then went about eating and drinking. And uh, suddenly um, this guy, Ryan, comes up behind me and he says, um, uh, I feel uh, the Spirit of God saying that we need to pray for Matt right now and God will want to do something. And then he says, um, but I don't know what to say, but this is what I know I need to say. So I said, okay. And uh, he and I called Matt up and I told Matt and then I did the talking, but he initiated it and we agreed and prayed for him and his feet seemed okay. Or at least he didn't tell me about it later on. But the point is, here is someone who is the youngest among us who decided that I will step up to stretch out my hands to minister. Get, uh, uh, I'm sorry I'm picking on him as a good example today, but um, 
this boy tithes or gives. Uh, he doesn't have a regular job yet, but he gives. His hands are not fractured, guys. He serves without asking. He has hands that are strong. I won't embarrass you again. Not today. <laughs> Let's change, turn the page. Hunchbacked. A man who was a hunchback was a man who uh, had a curvature of the spine. And some were born that way. Others had muscles of their shoulders and back forced either by trauma or accident or in, um, some kind of uh, problem where the muscles would then begin to clench and you would have a curvature of the back. And so uh, hunchbacks were not allowed into the presence of God. And a hunchback, a hunchback who had a curvature of the spine was unable to stand for long periods. He was unable to stand for long periods. And um, Hebrews 10, 35 to 39 talks about it. Hebrews 10, 35 to 39, it says that, listen, don't cast away your confidence. Don't cast away your confidence. And the just shall live by faith. And my pleasure is in him who is able to stand in times of trouble and does not shrink back. Um, check and see, when you look back at this year, how many times, uh, another word for hunchback in English is compromise. How many times did, did you and I compromise um, and choose to take the easy route because we did not have the ability to stand and the pressures of life forced the muscles of our back to curve our spine? Um, how many times this year when we should have stood we had to compromise because the demands of life forced untried faith muscles in my body into submission because the demands of life forced untried unexercised faith muscles into submission the demands of life forced untried faith muscles into submission. You know who, you know three guys who were not hunchbacked? Or four guys who were not hunchbacked? Daniel, <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Another person who's going through times and who's not hunchbacked? Sue. People who don't have hunchbacks. Got to stand. The, as I look back at the year, I... I, I, I um, I was driving up and down yesterday and thinking of the hunchback situation. I can remember one place where I, uh, I developed a hunchback. I compromised. I didn't have the strength to stand in faith. Uh, and I chose the easy way. Gail has stood. Ruth has stood. Many others of you have stood. Many others of you are standing even right now. So what's the solution? The solution initially, guys, is to have others stand and hold you up. Initially, if hunchbacking is a regular hobby, what's your hobby? Hunchbacking. They'll think it's something like horse riding. 
But if hunchbacking is a regular hobby where I'm not able to stand, then the, f the first thing I need to do is uh, get a couple of people who will be firm with me and yet hold me up when my back begins to hunch. And so once I have that, why? Because you've got to exercise those faith muscles before they can be active. There have been occasions this year when Anne and uh, Lorian have stood, when Rosalind has stood, when Chris has stood, Oh, James has stood in his cab a couple of times. You, you have to have others help you stand for the first little while. Now that those muscles are beginning to grow strong, now you begin to stand on your own for things. And as you stand and the pressure increases, you find that your muscles are not buckling. And now you begin to take on one Goliath who's five feet so that you can take along, take on the next Goliath that's six feet next time. Suddenly your muscles get keep getting stronger. One of the things David would do often is he would go back and remember the last victory so that he could fight the next battle. He would say, I have fought the lion and the bear. They came and they tried to take a sheep and I beat them hollow. So if I have fought the lion and the bear, why can't I take on Goliath? He would always remember the last episode. You have stood. Bernice and Wayne have stood for different things. I mean, there's nobody I can look at right now who hasn't stood. Nobody. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be inclusive. I'm just looking at you right now. And I know of situations where you have stood this year. Yeah. Everybody. But this is how you develop spiritual muscles. Joan has stood through a job. <laughs> Moving on then to the dwarf. Guys, remember, truth is learned through repeated application. There is no other way. Truth is learnt through repeated application. You do have to understand the truth first. True. The knowledge of the truth is important. But the knowledge of the truth now has to be applied. Truth is learnt through repeated application. Any man or woman of faith that you see has become that through repeated application of the truth. No other way. Dwarf. A dwarf is a person who ages but does not grow. Aging without growth. And I'm a uh, I mean, the only people who are growing right now are the little kids and Marcus and Matt and Ryan. The rest of all, uh, the rest of us have stopped growing. <laughs> but, uh, the pardon? Pardon? Uh, <laughs> so, the dwarfs are those who age without growing. Uh, that's because they've attained, they have, um, wh what happens is you set, self-set spiritual statures that you want to attain and you don't aim for attaining the stature of Christ. And this is common among millions and millions of Christians who have grown to be 60 and 70 but have the uh, spiritual IQ of a five-year-old. And I mean that in all earnestness, without exaggeration. Dwarfs. Stunted growth. What causes stunted growth? A feast of infant food. Try living on what Leah lives on. Uh, those little bottles with very untasty food. I know, I once tasted a bit of it at my sister's place. I don't know how these kids survive, man. 
wanted to feed the little child Pepsi after that, just to take away the taste. But stunted growth is because of feeding on infant food. You just dropped the world, Marcus. And which country? Okay, don't worry about it. I'm just kidding, man. You're feeding on lies, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Stunted growth is a result of feasting on infant food. It dulls your ability to discern between right and wrong. So that every wind of doctrine holds you captive, which is what lies are. Stunted growth. Read Hebrews 5 verses 14 to 17. You'll see it there. Hebrews 5 verses 14 and 14 to 17. I, I, I'll repeat what I said after that. Hebrews 5 verses 14 to 17. I'll repeat it again. Hebrews 5. 14 to 17. It's in your notes here. And it says in Hebrews 5, uh, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Guys, stunted growth is a result of feasting on infant food. It dulls your ability to discern between right and wrong. And when that happens, every wind of doctrine holds you captive. Every wind of doctrine holds you captive. Oh, oh, I have to say it gently and plainly. If you have a tendency to pick up CDs, books, and uh, believe every TV program on Channel 10 and Channel 118, then you are feeding on infant food. And I've lost your discernment between right and wrong. I'm not saying don't watch TV. I'm saying may that not become your diet. May that not become your diet. I used to receive a lot of CDs from um, the person in um, Abbotsford, Todd Bentley. Knew right away when I began hearing, listening to Open Heaven, that it was faulty. Right away, you should know that there, there ha- there's a distinction between right and wrong. Uh, n- this is not to prove whether I have sense of discernment or not. This is to show that we have to feast on solid food so that we know when they give you Bon Vita or Horlicks. You suddenly realize that he did not brew it. It's not real coffee. What's the solution, guys? The solution um, is in Ephesians 4. Guys, um, uh, we said that uh, it is age without growth because people have decided that this is the spiritual stature they want to attain and they do not want to attain the spiritual stature of Christ. What do you... Remember that verse which talks about attaining the spiritual stature of Christ. What is required for that? Do you remember? And God has appointed to the body apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers and pastors. So why? To equip the saints for, for ministry. Towards what? So that every part of the body will join, will grow ligament to ligament to attain what? To attain the full, st- full stature of Christ. Guys, it is vital that we be connected to a place 
I'm not talking about Acts 29 right now, to a place where we are equipped. A people who are not equipped will never be able to feed on solid food. It will always be food that is infant. Connected doesn't necessarily mean attending every week. Take Tino Suhani, for instance. They're not able to come every week. It's not possible. Given our timings, it's not possible for them to come. But are they connected to the house? Yes. Will they benefit from it? Yes. Press on to the high calling. Uh, what's the rest of the word? Crisis has for us. Solution, be equipped through the fivefold servants by being part of a body. Solution, eat at one table. Solution, and uh, this is an important one. Solution, end selective listening and growth. End, guys, I pray that the whole church listens to me right now, not because I'm looking at anybody, but because this is important. End selective listening and selective growth. I'm saying that it is prevalent at Acts 29, where um, we decide that this is not important or this is not for me right now. So I will not listen to it. There are other things that are more pertinent to my life. I'm saying to you that there is not a single teaching that has been taught in this church that wasn't in the exact timing of God. And I know that for a fact. I know that is a big thing to say. But not once has anything been taught in this church um, that was not in God's time. I promise you that. Challenge me, questions, disagreements. Even when I'm preparing a sermon in the plane um, on a 10-hour flight back, I plead with God saying, only what you want. I know I've got only six hours left. I've got only five hours left. I don't have a sermon yet. Please, please, please give me something. I'm landing at 3.30. I have a service at 6. But it's always what he wants. It's never been any hand-me-downs, guys. Never once in the last three and a half years. That's why it's so easy. End to selective listening, guys. Defect in the eye. Defect in the eye is not blindness. It's something that impedes your vision. Defect in the eye is not blindness. It's something that impedes your vision. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not blindness. It's something that comes into your eye and impedes your vision. Um, and once it impedes your vision, it becomes a plank in your eye um, and distorts your perception of issues, distorts your perception of people. Um, uh, uh, there's error then in your perception of issues and people because a plank has come in. Uh, can I ask you what these impediments can you be? What do you think these impediments can be? Give me a few impediments that can bring in error in your perception, become a plank in your eye. What are some of those impediments? Taking offense. Taking offense. Anything else that becomes a plank in your eye? Listening to rumor. Judging other people. Not forgiving. Jealousy. You see how many impediments. These are not, this is not blindness, guys. It's impediments. It begins to... Uh, the, the, the depth perception changes on issues and people. Pride. Pride is a major uh, vision impediment, be it 
be it jealousy, be it taking offense, behind all of it, the underlying thing is pride. Greed. There you go. Just changes it. You de develop conjunctivitis. Critical conjunctivitis. It's one of the things that develops. Anger. Control. Depending on what this impediment in is, is in your life, no? Fear. Begin to work on it, guys. Begin to work on it. Made, I mean, for me, um, uh, what I've written down is um, a lot of underlying factors in many of the things you've spoken is pride. So I've written here, foremost vision impeder is pride. It leads to critical conjunctivitis. There can be a whole lot of other things too. Solution. Uh, for each of the things you said, there's different solutions, but one of the things that can form um, a really good basis for you is be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Let your hearing lead you. Let your speaking follow slowly. And let your anger not be there at all. I'll have to get it on my phone. James 1. James 1 verse uh, 19. James 1 19. Yep, and now from the message. Uh, I don't like these dead times on the CD. I don't know what to do when I'm driving in the car and you have these quiet times. James 1. Yeah, I love the way it's written here. Um, it's worth waiting for. Um Post this at all intersections, dear friends. <laughs> Post this at all the intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue. And let anger straggle along in the rear. <laughs> yeah. Lead with your ears, meaning next time we at Acts 20 and walk, we have to walk like this. Lead with your ears. Follow with your tongues. And let anger straggle along in the rear. In simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word. Making a salvation garden of your life. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moving on to scurvy, eczema and sores. Moving on to scurvy, eczema, and sores. <laughs> Sounds like a medical school and not a Bible. <laughs> Moving on to scurvy, eczema, and sores. Uh, regardless of which Bible you use, at the end of the day, scurvy, eczema, and sores have uh, thing have much to do with stale food, stale environment, stale condition, a lack of freshness. Scurvy was caused when sailors would travel on ships for more than six months and the fruit and the vegetable would become stale. And they would develop scurvy. 
stale food, stale environment, stale condition, um, lack of freshness, resulting in scurvy, festering sores, no vitamin C, lack of sunlight, lack of freshness. Oh, lack of sunlight was rickets, vitamin D. Sorry, take that out. It's very easy to connect this to what we've already learned. Exodus 16, verses 16 to 21 said that manna was sent once a week, once every two weeks, every day. If it was held for more than one day and it was, it would go stale and it would rot and you'd have not manna, but another word starting with M, maggots. Big difference though. So, <laughs> the whole idea is, guys, <laughs> to, to be free of scurvy eczema and festering sores, we got to walk in the preceding word and in present truth. Now, if both those um, phrases do not ring a bell, I'd suggest again that you go and listen to the <laughs> CD from the preceding word. The preceding word is what God speaks now. What God is saying now, manna was fresh every day. We live by the preceding word, not by the preceding word. And what is present truth? Present truth is how we see God speaking through this that he has written, what he reveals it in this present season. That is present truth. This is truth and it is present. It is not how um, Josephus or Barnes or um, Alfred Noble or whoever wrote it 80 years ago. That's not the commentary we follow. We don't, we like Matthew Henry, but we don't follow him. We, we live by present truth, the truth as it is presently revealed by the Spirit of God, because if this is all God is, He's a very finite, limited God. This is just the launch pad, guys. It is not the beginning and the end of God. The Lord said, I am Alpha and Omega. He didn't say the Bible was Alpha and Omega. The canned word, the preceding word, uh, can cause eczema, scurvy and sores and render you useless to minister grace. The canned word, as in C-A-N-N-E-D, or the preceding word, the word from last season. We cannot operate by last season's word to us. The preceding word is authentic sun's open heavens. Got to operate by that. Not by the preceding word. Guys, and it's not the sole responsibility of the teacher to do that. I would ask you, do you in your daily life live by a present truth? And so you would ask me, how would you go about Seeking present truth, I'd ask you, so do you study this or do you read this? Do you chew it? Do you meditate on it? Or do you glance through it? But how can I study? Oh, once the internet came, there are no more excuses left. Every resource available to anybody is available to everybody. Uh, you, uh, I'm not talking about using commentaries. I'm talking about using study tools. History, uh, customs, Greek meanings, Hebrew meanings, um, why what, what was said was said, 
What do people say about it? How does it strike with what I'm learning in the house? Is the house wrong or is the house, does the house have an accurate plumb line? How does this reflect? You bring it all together. Nothing is in isolation, right? Like I said, I deliberately read opposing views to what I hold just so I can understand why they're saying it and correct if I'm wrong. No. Yeah. It's like taking a bit from Anne, from Elma, from Bernice and Chris and drawing it all and putting it uh, and seeing, huh, so I see what she's saying makes sense and then taking it all together, piecing it together, knowing what I already know and developing something. That is that is chewing, meditating, studying. This is present truth, guys, because God does reveal himself fully to the bride fully in the presence of us as a people. Agreed. But there is a discovering of truth in your own private times, right? There is. Which can be very, very specific for you. Yes. So you need that. Yes. Your inheritance. Mm-hmm. Our inheritance at the house, yes. But what about your inheritance, your personal inheritance for your family? Mm-hmm. What about that? Uh, um, I wish I could turn that clock around. <laughs> I'm well past what I s- uh, five minutes past what I said. Guys, uh, I find many times my life getting jaded or stale, or uh, like it could be perhaps once every month, once every three months. I find that there's a staleness entering, and I immediately have to go and recalibrate. So you'll, I'll spend um, miles walking up and down my two rooms, um, saying, Father. Uh, kind of feeling jaded. Just don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it because I'm doing it. So uh, you want to talk about it? Any agenda? And then just keep walking and talking because you've got to recalibrate because there's a jadedness or a staleness entering life. And you always know it. There's a freshness gone. Your childlikeness disappears. Uh, um, l- uh, love turns to duty. Moving on because I see some of you are beginning to fall asleep. We've got only three more left. (laughs) You can sleep the whole evening, guys. You don't have to come back at night. Scabs. Scabs. Uh, 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 Mike Scantleberry uh, talks about uh, scabs, and I like some of the points he makes. A scab is a wound that is not healed. When pressure is applied, the scab breaks open and it hurts. A scab is a wound that is not healed, So when pressure is applied, the scab breaks open and uh, pain returns and uh, sometimes uh, it breaks open and pus is released if it's not healed. A scab is a wound that is not healed. When pressure is applied, the scab breaks open and pains. But he makes another point. He says there's something other than scabs called scars. Scars are marks left after a wound is healed. Scars are marks left after a wound is healed and uh, it may remind you of something but it does not hurt anymore because it's not a scab, it's a scar. And then uh, I love this point that he brings up. He says that Jesus, it may remind you of something but it does not hurt anymore because it's not a scab, it's a scar. And then uh, I love this point that he brings up. He says that Jesus showed Thomas not scabs. He didn't say 
Thomas, here are my scabs. He said, here are my scars, my wounds. Scars were there. The, the, the scar of the wound was there, not a running scab. So Thomas said, till I put my hand in the, uh, in the imprints of the nails, I will not believe. He showed him the scars, man. And guess what? Christ bears those scars. But the scars remind him of what he did for us and the scars remind us of what he did. Those are not scabs, those are scars. And I'd say to you that it is vital that we have scars but no scabs. Scabs are always a result of unforgiveness or an inability to let go of the hurt. And we've talked about unforgiveness. If you want the CD, let Wayne know. Wayne's going to have a full-time job at this rate. Not that he already doesn't have one or two. Scabs hurt, signifying a continuing bondage to events and to offenders, still unforgiven. Scars hurt, sorry, scabs hurt, signifying a continuing bondage to events or to offenders, still unforgiven. Wounds turn to scars when there is forgiveness. Wounds turn to scars when there is forgiveness. Guys, it is impossible to minister out of an unforgiving, hurting, critical heart. We cannot minister life of God to others from a wounded, critical or unforgiving spirit. Let me repeat the line before that first. Scabs hurt, signifying bondage to events and to offenders still unforgiven. But wounds turn to scars when forgiveness is complete. Wounds turn to scars when forgiveness is complete. And I just want us to know that we cannot minister the life of God to another from a wounded, critical or unforgiving spirit. It is impossible. I cannot minister life to him if I have a wounded, unforgiving or critical heart. It's impossible. I cannot. Because it will come up. The solution? Listen to the reconciliation CD. (laughs) Turn scabs that you rake into scars that will tell a story of grace. That sounds very nice. But basically you have to turn scabs into scars. Guys, uh, if you have had a scab for more than five years then you want to know the real solution? Let me put it very gently. Get over it. I know that sounds cruel. You don't know my pain. True, Jay, true. I do not know your pain. But I know someone um, whose love is greater than your pain and the brutality he suffered is greater than your pain. Listen to the reconciliation CD. Last one. The reason I wrote eunuch on the pages, I thought if these pages are lying around and someone sees the word damaged testicles on it, they'll wonder what we are teaching here. So, the actual word (laughs) that uh, the Bible uses is damaged testicles. Uh, Obviously, damaged testicles means that a person is unable to reproduce. Unable to reproduce. Leviticus 21 ends with that. A person who has damaged testicles will not be able to uh, offer bread before God or minister grace. Damaged testicles mean 
someone who is unable to reproduce. And guys, we do not reproduce messages. We do not rep- reproduce ministries. We do not reproduce mantles. We rep- reproduce life on life. Please understand that. At Acts 29, we are not going to reproduce ministries. We are not going to reproduce mantles. Oh, brother, take this mantle and run. No. We are not going to reproduce um, messages. We are going to reproduce life, guys. The life that is within us that Christ is creating as a people. You, you, when we go to Montreal, if Montreal should work out, we will not reproduce going to Indonesia or to Bahrain or to India. We will not reproduce this worship. We will not reproduce having this furniture for church. We will not reproduce breakfast on Sunday mornings. But we'll reproduce the DNA that Christ has put within us so that the other person can take it and run as they please with their own personality. Life on life. That's what we reproduce. You don't want clones. That's why we don't want an Acts 29 chapter. (laughs) We don't want anything to look like this. We want to reproduce life on life. You can be a husband and yet not be a father. A husband is not a father till he reproduces. So you can have loyal husbands that can still be important fathers. And check your lives, guys. You know, I remember the resistance I had to the whole idea of father-son when Eddie first brought it up. And I've talked to you about it. That there was a resistance in my heart towards the whole idea because I thought it was, it was, it was too... Um, it was, I found it a little too intense and I didn't know what it meant and I thought, how will this translate and what does this connectedness mean? And so I knew there was a resistance that's coming up. And I'd like to say to you again, gently and plainly, there are people right now in this room in Acts 29, and you are an intrinsic person in this house, but you still have a resistance towards the uh, towards coming into a father-son relationship. And while I understand that resistance, I say to you, you are going to lose out. I'm putting it very plainly and gently. You are not identifying with Jacob. But uh, like Eddie said before you, when he called me up for prayer on October 5th. He said, this is not Jacob identifying with Eddie. It's it's the spirit within Jacob identifying with the spirit in Eddie. And therefore, having downloaded into his my life all the grace that is in his life. And is there grace in my life? Absolutely. This was what I was born for. And you will download the grace in my life into your life and increase in intensity and produce children that are much greater than you or I. But till you connect as sons in this house to a father, you will not receive that. And it has nothing to do with this person. I have a very decent estimate, estimation of myself and yet I know my faults. <laughs> there are plenty every day. You are not connecting to this person. I I welcome you, invite you to connect on that level so that you can be fathers because you can be a husband in this house and never be a father because you never were a son. 
This is not to my advantage, guys. This is to the advantage. This is to your advantage and the advantage of the house. And I am glad that I modeled it first, so that I can stand here confidently and speak to you, knowing that I have the street creds for it. We reproduce life on life. We reproduce grace on grace. And we reproduce and release destiny. That's what we do, guys. We reproduce life on life. We reproduce grace on grace. Meaning the graces in our lives, we will reproduce in other people's lives. And we reproduce and release destiny. Meaning we bring up sons who are born with a sense of destiny. At the age of 12, Jesus knew. He knew. This house knew from its inception what it was called to be. This house was not born in a vacuum, in in, in a spiritual vacuum. From the day it was conceived, this house knew what it was called to be. We reproduce sons who have a sense of the destiny and then we release and thrust them into it. Or to use Anne's word, launch them into the orbit they're supposed to. I'm done. Feel free to ask questions. If you think um, you need to ask questions with regard to what I just said about fathers and sons, feel free to ask about that too. Guys, if you think you need to uh, come and talk about any of these handicaps in your life with me, uh, feel free to. Uh, I pray God that as you step into 2010, you'll have dealt with um, circumcision at Gilgal in every area of your life. Any questions? I know it's 145. Um, any questions? This is for? Um, in a marriage, how do you deal with it as a couple? I'd say first you deal with it individually, and then you deal with it as a couple. Because uh, um, uh, if these defects have to be first dealt with individually, and then you deal with it together. 